Welcome guys, hope everyone is well. On this week's podcast, we're talking about the difference between traveling and staying in one location for work. We'll talk about our journey, some of our challenges, and which one of us is on Tinder. Last but not least, we'll go into our book recommendation for the week. So stay tuned and let's get into it. This is episode one of the Take Flight podcast. Uh, we are four guys in our 20s and we have many interests such as traveling, investing, connecting with people and generally trying to live life to the best that we can. We've had a lot of conversation over the last few months and years. We've done a lot of celebrating together, traveling together, investing together, also made a lot of mistake, mistakes along the way. Now what we decided to do is having these conversations between us, we thought it's time to open this up to the world and for other people who can learn from our failures, but also learn from the goals that we have set between us. Now, without spending too much time talking, my name is Shuel, and we're just going to quickly introduce the rest of the group. Hi, Hi. my name is Pabilo. Hi, my name is Oli Okanola. I'm Daniel Johnson, otherwise known as DJ. Yo, DJ. DJ. So I think Olu will kindly be the moderator for today's episode and he'll guide you through how we plan to do the segments for the show. So for this week and the first episode, we're going to try this structure. We'll see how that goes over the following weeks. Um, But the way we're going to start is we're going to have one topic, which is just really a debate between us to talk about mistakes, tips, lessons learned from our experience. Then we're going to go to a hot topic, something going on in the news that's recent that we can debate and discuss about. And then we'll end on a book recommendation. So a book that we're reading, recommended to you, get your points of views in the comment section and hopefully build on that as the week goes on. So let's start with a first topic, which is a debate about when it comes to your career and the job that you decide to take, staying in one location versus traveling for work. So let's start off with Shuel. So and we'll... I can maybe, uh, before giving a strong opinion, I can at least share the journey that I've had so far. Uh, so like the four of us, I was originally born in the UK. And when I was at university, I was living in London, studying in London. And I thought the whole world revolved around London. Not all of us were born in the UK, on... you know that. Just want to throw yeah, that out yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you also born in the UK? Hey, I was born in Nigeria. I just want to throw that out there. But continue, oh, continue, continue. All right, my bad. My bad. <laughs> so majority of us are born in the UK. Um, but basically living in London, I thought the world revolved around there. And I never planned on moving out. Now, six and a half years on since finishing university, I've been fortunate enough to have spent around four years in Switzerland and two years living in Tokyo in Japan. Um that's also allowed me to travel, have trainings in different countries and really see the world. And now if I look back, that was one of the best decisions for me. If I look back at what I've learned and the experiences I've had. How about you, Daniel? What's, what's, what's oh, the new course. journey? Um, so I'm probably the opposite to everyone else. I've been well, born in London, lived in London all my life. I decided to, well, I've worked in one location um, throughout my career so far, based in London. Um, but one thing... Actually, I was planning on moving to Singapore or Hong Kong after two years of working in London. However, that kind of changed, got into um, a relationship, now married to that woman. So oh, married man, it's not, okay. It's, 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 not, it's, not, um, it's not something that I'm opposed to in the future, but it was something that was high on my cards. However, 
one great thing about you know working where I work is that we have offices <clears throat> around the globe. And I've been fortunate enough to, you know, travel with work, travel on holiday and go into work and visit different offices such as Dubai, Tokyo, Hong Kong, the US, New York, um, Lagos as well and other places. So it's been not inflexible. They're very flexible and something that I've loved doing and relish all the time and always encourage other people to do is travel. So I've set myself different targets, which I'm sure we'll probably discuss on another segment of um, our podcast. But traveling is just something I love to do. I see it as a new experience to immerse yourself in cultures and environments to, you know, to see how locals live. And that's just one thing I just love to do. But as far as the career goes, where working where I work, it's very flexible. So it hasn't felt like it's been mundane, uh, a monotonous task. It's something I've really enjoyed. And working with colleagues across the globe and in such a fast paced environment has its benefits as well. So for now in London, but in the future, who knows? Who knows? As long as the missus says, yeah. No, not really. <laughs> exactly. She, she's acting like he's making all this. Acting like he's making all the decisions by himself. She's been discussing the US, cool. but I'm not a P. What are you saying? Yeah, so myself. So, um, born and raised in the UK, just like you guys. I think we're all going to say that. Apart from me again. Um, after, apart from <laughs> <Guess> us. <laughs> after graduating, um, moved to Switzerland to work, and actually have a very similar story to Shuol. Uh, whereas he actually went to Tokyo, I actually stayed in Switzerland for that entire time. So I've been working and residing in Switzerland for the last six years. And for me, uh, it's been it's been an invaluable experience. I think being able just to, I mean, working is one part, but also being able to live as well. But for me, I always thought, I always saw traveling as a way or being in one position. I think it's, it's difficult to grow just by staying in one position. So being able to get around and travel allows you to sort of embrace uh, different cultures, different ideas, different perspectives, and um, that's kind of what it's been like for the last six years. Okay, and um, I guess I'm the last one then. Um, so, so I was born actually not in the UK. I'm like these guys. I was where were you born? born? Where were you born? I was born where in Nigeria. Born? Do you know where Nigeria is? A name like Daniel papers? Johnson, you might not know where Nigeria is. I've got sure. papers. Windrush, windrush. <laughs> papers. Um, but moved over to the UK when I was very young, studied in the UK, graduated um, in London. Afterwards, I took up a graduate scheme, um, which meant that I traveled. So I was never really in the same country. I moved every six to four months for up to, for five years I did that. Um, I don't want to repeat what everyone said. I think they've touched on amazing points in terms of why and uh, the culture. The reason I personally did it was more for the career acceleration. It just meant that by me moving around, I was able to do so many different roles um, within the organization, which will go more in detail there. Um, but now I finally moved back to the UK. So I've got sort of both experience, five years of traveling and now back in London for the last year. So we can sort of talk about it. So guys, like, if we think about it, what do you feel was like the greatest benefit of you either traveling or Daniel, you staying in one location? Like, well, I don't know if you see it as a benefit, but I guess for me is that you get to, or you can maximize your spend, um, your spending. Well, yeah, spending, maximize your saving whilst living <laughs> at home. Racking up those <laughs> But you see, I would well, challenge that, you know, because if I take the way my program worked was because I was still on a UK contract, but I was traveling, that meant they covered all my expenses. So hotels, 
flights, living expense while I was traveling. So I found I was able to save more by traveling. And to be honest, that was probably one of the, also one of the reasons why I decided to travel versus staying in one location and having to pay rent, having to pay um, travel costs, etc. by living in London. So I'm not I sure. I guess so, but... But that's, uh, like you said, that's dependent on your scheme or the program that you're mm, on. That's true. Because I know a lot of organizations will travel you out at least on your, you know, business class flight, you know, give you maybe a month's accommodation and then you basically have to find your way. Mm. So, you know, I know knowing your um, your program or what you're on, I think that was very good. And if that was something that my organization provided, I'll definitely take it. Mm. But going back to staying in one kind of location, living at home with my parents in the family house or more, more or less just me given that my, most of the family are abroad, it kind of gave me my, it gave me my independence anyway. Um, so it was yeah. almost like living by myself, saving whilst, you know, you know, do, paying the household bills, um, meeting friends, but also just, it gave me a sense of security, but I'm not someone who was against traveling. So I never, I never stood still. For example, back in 2013, it was this time five years ago, I set myself a challenge for 2013, which was to do one trip a month, as many of you know. So I did 19 trips in 14 months. So that made sure Jeez. that I constantly... How many? Can you repeat that? Racking nine, up air, Repeat that? Nine, nine, 19 trips in 14 months. Okay. So I challenged myself to travel out of the country at least once every month. I think one month I did three countries and three continents. But um, that was just you, something you that I set my... You can let us know episode two how you did that. Okay. Because the viewers will be interested to understand. Future episode, yeah. It, it, was, it was living in one location, but exploring the outside world as well. You know, it stemmed from my childhood and the love and passion that my family had for traveling. So it never stopped with me growing up, to put it that way. It's funny you say that because as a child, we didn't travel that much. Like, whenever we traveled, family holidays were back to Nigeria. That was like summer holiday it was like okay we're traveling somewhere you're going to nigeria you come back oh where did you go olu nigeria so that's one of the reasons why as soon as i graduated i was like yo i've got to travel i've got to see as much as possible you're, 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 olu, you're living you're living you're living good in dubai you're living the standard the standard the standard of living in dubai Woo! you guys you guys know you guys know <laughs> actually building on Ollie's point similar when I was growing up my parents were very strict and any holiday we're going to we're packing our bags and going to Bangladesh mm. now Bangladesh is a cool place <laughs> but it's not Tokyo and it's not Zurich it's not New York so it's a very <laughs> unique place so I think similar to you Ollie, when I got the chance to leave London and come to mainland Europe and live in Switzerland it really opened up a how easy it is to travel and how cheap it is if you plan it properly mm. um and b it's actually okay being in a country where you don't know much and you don't know people because as long as you have the right attitude you can somehow make it work and meet meet and connect with people so i think for me the biggest pro has been moving around seeing different countries similar to daniel i gave myself a challenge of trying to get to 50 countries by by 30 and then i did i was able to complete that this year but I think the biggest thing it's given me, it's given me the confidence in myself that I can go traveling, I can move countries, I can move somewhere completely remote that I don't know anyone and have no connection with, but I can somehow make a life from that. So that's given me the confidence in myself. The biggest con, to going back to Pavilo's question, um, you do miss some moments. So when I first moved to Japan, because I was on the other side of the world, I missed one of my best friend's weddings. And that was quite tough. Mm. 
that's something that probably at the time I prioritized work more than his wedding. And after his wedding and I saw the pictures, I realized that was a big mistake. And since then, I haven't, I've tried my best to not miss any. I think the other con for me was when my dad had a bit of a health scare last year. Fortunately, work allowed me to fly out from Tokyo back to the UK on the same day. But it's at those moments you realize if I was a bit closer, maybe I could have not just been there to look after them after it's happened, but maybe I could have prevented some things from happening as well. It's crazy you say that. It's crazy you say that because <laughs> I wish we had spoken about that because what you talk about missing a wedding, yeah. I also miss um, a close friend's wedding. I, I was flying yeah. to Dubai at the time and I couldn't make it. And yeah. after that happened to me, I said, you know what? For key moments, as much you as I can control, you got to make the most. Like weddings, like um like birthdays yeah they go every year but like key moments such as weddings someone's being born those key moments a funeral those sort of things you you just have to prioritize it i remember yeah. even when my auntie passed away and yeah. i remember going into the office and this was after like two years of traveling and me understanding the importance of prioritizing family and how important that is my auntie passed away and i spoke to my manager i said yo next week I'm traveling back home. He was like, oh, no, I need... And I was like, next week, I'm traveling back home to be with my mom to support her. Through. Like, it's that maturity. Yeah. After you realize that aspect, you realize, okay, you know what? The things that are important and you want to prioritize, you're going to make sure you do it, even though you're yeah. abroad. And yeah, like, it's just crazy that you mentioned that about missing the wedding because I actually went through that exact same thing. Yeah. But I think, I think going through that, it makes us appreciate it more as well. But mm. P, what do you... What do you think in in, in your case? Because you 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 moved to Switzerland, but I know in your previous work, for example, you're traveling a lot as well. How how have you found it? What's been the pros and cons for you? Yeah, I would say uh, in terms of cons, probably echoing a little bit about what all you guys have mentioned. I think the one the biggest thing uh, you miss out on is spending a lot more time with your family. I have two younger brothers, so you you do you take that that sort of bonding time is actually going to then be reduced or limited, and that's something which it's about trying to see how you can prioritize your time, make effort to go back um, and make sure you try and catch up on that time. The other piece, which is um, in most cases, actually, we see it with people that we work with, is a long distance relationships. So everything's great now because my, myself and Lauren, my wife, we're married, we're, we're living together in Switzerland. But for the best part of, well, at least for four years of the six years I've been here, we were doing a long distance relationship. So that's something which was very challenging and difficult to um to as you're going through uh, your journey so i probably see those are the two biggest cons i think it's always going to be around friends and family mm, but yeah. i i really your point around connecting with different people cultures backgrounds and seeing how you can also find i think what's interesting is how you notice that other cultures and different there's a lot of similarities between you and yeah, other definitely. people as well yeah, and and bridging that gap when you do travel around and see i think it's something which um is really fascinating and um, one of the pros, biggest pros, I think, in getting around. So it's, I, I think, in the end, yeah, it's, it's. What would you say? The pros outweigh the cons, or it's. It, it, I guess it depends on, on where you place your value. I think it's where you place your values and finding the right balance. Everything in yeah. life is about balance. You know, it's never gonna be one journey for the rest of your life. It's never gonna be all good. It's gonna be. It's gonna be like a roller coaster. It's gonna be turbulent times um some ups some downs and it's about riding that enjoying the peaks and learning through the, the troughs yeah and i reckon if we're i think even no matter what all four of us especially one 
common thread I see is whichever location we're in, it's not like we're spending the whole time in that one location. We're all open-minded enough to have traveled. Daniel's racked up a lot of air miles with BA, so we're hoping for a BA sponsorship somewhere down the line. <laughs> but we've all, been, we've all kept an open mind to travel as well. So even if we're in one location, we're pretty much everywhere at the same time as well. Did you guys ever feel, for the people that were traveling, did you ever feel lonely when you were abroad? Because... I'll be honest with you, there's certain times people <laughs> automatically people see that's a, real question. <laughs> that's a real question because people see the pictures you post on Instagram and yeah. that you're saying, Oh yeah, I've just gone to Switzerland, Dubai here, and they think that yeah. all the time you're living this lavish, amazing, active life. Like how did no, you guys you deal no, with you are. You, no, are. you are. You are. No, you are. You are. Yeah. You are. You're just trying to be very humble in the way you frame it. But you no, are. but true. Because <laughs> there's certain times where you're like I remember in California, there's eight hours time zone difference. And after you finish work, everyone's sleeping or your close family and friends are sleeping and you're like, oh, shoot. It's just you here. How did you guys cope with that? Because we could paint like the nice rosy pictures, but there was also some you yeah, know, so I, lonely, lonely so, times. So I, I, yeah, so I actually see it as a sign of strength. I think um, if you're willing to go, if you're willing to go, the distance sort of by yourself with not many people i think it's i think it's more of a strength than it is maybe a weakness or something which um is a disadvantage so yeah it's lonely but it can it can it can get lonely but i think you just sort of focus on what you're going to experience when you get onto the other side right so and i think that's kind of more how i would see it um yeah i think for for, for me i think nowadays especially if you think about technology any city that you go to, if you're on your own, there's enough apps where you can make some new friends very quickly. Sounded like you're talking <laughs> about Tinder. Like, hey, like, hey, like, no, 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 but I'm saying... Like, yeah, apps are not necessarily used that much anymore. Christian Mingle. Christian Mingle. Did you use somebody to come back to London? It's, it's very easy to connect with people. But no, on a, on a, on a more serious level, though, for me personally... Um, I've had this question before, like, do, have you felt lonely? Like, especially when I first moved to Tokyo, where it's a seven, eight hour difference versus Europe. And the first week when I was there on my own, did I feel lonely? I think up until that stage, there were things that happened to me which reinforced to me that it would be okay. So I think the first thing was moving to Switzerland when I did at the age of 21. I think being able to move to a country so early, even though logistically it's not that far, that gave me the confidence of, okay, I can at least move country and then somehow be able to make a life. I think, second of all, technology has made it a lot easier, not just to meet new people, but stay connected with mm. the people that you are friends with. There's Instagram, there's Facebook. You can call people for free now, which wasn't available 10, 20 years ago. And I think for me personally, I've grown to really... I'm quite a sociable person. I mean, we've all celebrated, we've had parties, we've gone on holidays together. We make friends, we have groups of friends between us. But I think I'm quite a sociable person, but I've also grown to enjoy my own company a lot as well. Mm. And I think traveling on my own, um, living on my own, these moments, if you don't enjoy your own company, then it can become quite difficult. And I don't think I would have lasted as long as I did if I didn't enjoy my own company. So I think going on my first holiday on my own, that really helped reinforce that, that I can go somewhere, be independent. And even if I'm not around people, I can enjoy my own company. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's, and I one, one probably important point for me anyway, I noticed that the more I keep myself busy with things, the less I tend to miss people, which doesn't necessarily mean I'm heartless and I don't care about people and I don't think about people. Yeah. But I think that's one of the reasons why I keep myself active through 
different activities at work, outside of work, exercise, everything. Because if I keep my mind off those things, and it doesn't even give me the time to miss people. And I mean that in the, in the nicest way, because there's mm. people all in my life that I love and that I want to spend time with, but yeah. No, I totally agree. Like, and the key point is also, like, it gives you time to truly develop and find yourself. I think yeah. with that loan, like, people not hitting you up like, hey, what are you doing? You want to go out tonight? You want to go here? You've got that time to actually build stuff, build yourself, understand what you actually like as a person, which is so dope. Um, question, and Dan, it would be great to understand it for you. Like, do you feel like there's a difference in the acceleration, career acceleration for if you decide to travel versus if you decide to stay in one location? Well, I, I think it comes down to what your what your field of work is. For mine, where it's financial markets, you know, the hubs are London and New York primarily. You do get a bit of Asia, Hong Kong, and you know, but that's not really that's Hong that's for Southeast Asia. But when you're talking about the main financial markets, you necessarily most most times think of New York and you think of London. So when it comes down to career um, acceleration, it hasn't impacted me or hindered me. But I think the fact that I've traveled and experienced different cultures, I know how people may operate or work in different offices has enabled me to build a rapport with those. For example, I've got colleagues or not even colleagues that I work with. I've got friends out in Hong Kong, in Japan, in the States that I know how to talk to on a level and relate to because I've seen them in the offices or I've been to that country and can you know, relate to them more if I'm speaking to a colleague that I don't know or familiar with. I know how to approach them and to yeah. be understood by them. So that helps, especially where cultures are very different. For example, Japan was when when you know when I was over there with Shuel and Pab when Shuel was living there. You know, it's it's a great great experience um, to say the least. Um, but it hasn't hindered me in my progression because that's not dependent on getting exposure in different markets or different countries. Yeah. But I can see for other people and friends such as you and others that I know that has been paramount um, for them to progress and accelerate. No. Yeah, I think, I think it, also, it always depends on what actually you're trying to achieve in your career. I think there's many different ways you can actually build a career. One could be just literally picking up roles in different parts of the world, not necessarily going upwards, but more sideways moves. Or you can become very specialised in a particular area in one spot. Um, mm. But actually, my, my take and my opinion is um, if your goal is to be you know, a global leader in, in your industry, it certainly is is beneficial and, and something which is um, your, your, your push to do is actually pick up experience in different parts of the world. So usually what companies want to see is that you've, you have experience in emerging markets, you have experience in the US market, um, and you have experience in, say, North America. And that sort of wealth of experience is sort of usually is, is very helpful in leading and taking businesses to the next level. So I think I think it boils, I think it just boils down to what you're trying to achieve in your career. But um, yeah, I think I think you hit some very key points. I know we haven't got time to unwrap all of them. But like you said, if you're trying to be a global leader, you need to show knowledge and experience of, you know, having lived in different or experienced different markets. But then again, you can be niche and very specialized in something that is still progression. For example, you may not yeah. be going into man management or leadership roles, but you can still be progressing upwards by specializing in something very niche to making a, a huge, you know, organization impact, organizational impact. No, I agree. You know what? <laughs> It'll be a good, because you guys talk about different cultures and all the places you've traveled to. 
it'll be good to, let me test if you guys actually truly know your age yeah? <laughs> because you guys are beautiful oh cool so cool, cool, cool. we're gonna go around here yeah? and yeah. everyone has to say in one in one language any language right, apart cool. from your actual let's language go, let's go let's go I can you need to 13. ask for the bill so you go into a restaurant Wait, wait, let's just stop it. For everyone listening, Oli was living in Paris for a couple of months, four or five months, and he couldn't speak a word of French. All he needed to say was hello, and he would be so happy when the bill was time for the bill because he would lean back in his chair, put his hand up, think like he's a Frenchman. And, then, and um, um, French. Uh, excuse me, uh, monsieur, monsieur, um, la licence, s'il vous plaît. Uh, merci. Right, merci. Big man. Yeah. <laughs> That was it. Uh, sure, sure. In Japanese. Sure. What? Some Japanese. <laughs> okay. So my my Japanese is very basic. So if any of my Japanese friends are listening to this, this is when they would expect me to not say it. But I actually do know how to say it. To ask for the bill in Japanese, you say "okaike onegaishimasu." Repeat that. Repeat that. Sugoi. Okaike onegaishimasu. And if any of my Japanese friends are listening, you're welcome. <laughs> ダニオ、ダニオ、ダニオネクスト。ワオ。ダブルワオ。あ、そうか。あ、そうか。あ、そうか。あ、そうか。あ、そうか。あ、そうか。あ、そうか。あ、そうか。あ、そうか。あ、
<laughs> like we've been hearing about Brexit for the last two years, three years now. Um, let's talk about what that means to you guys, what you think about all the the news. So Daniel, Brexit, Mister, this is our Brexit expert. <laughs> I don't know where you got that from. That's, that's, a, lot, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. I'm not no BBC correspondent. No, in fact, maybe we should start with a disclaimer. Yeah? So any information that you hear right now, this is our <laughs> own personal opinions. Any financial decisions made based on our opinions, we shall not be liable for. So let's move on from... Let's just make sure we got that disclaimer. Cool. So what do you guys think about the Brexit? Like, First of all, what does Brexit even mean to you guys? What does it mean to you guys? Yeah, well, it's simple. Brexit is basically the UK leaving the EU. That's what it is, leaving the European Union. That's mm-hmm. in simple terms what it is. And when the referendum was held on 23rd of June 2016, I remember that day vividly because I was in office late on the Wednesday. I was in the office at 6am on the Thursday. And it was just a huge roller coaster. And what people didn't anticipate was that the majority of the UK would vote leave. Mm. And, you know, two and a half years later, I think there's a lot of, been a lot of remorse and people wish or didn't know what the implications were by voting leave. They thought, you know, they'll yeah. be friendly by just saying, yeah. you know, let's just see what happens. Let's just leave. Yeah. But what you also find is when you look into the, you know, you, you know, the, you know, the devils in the detail. When you look deeper into the the voting and the regions and areas of the people that voted leave, these are people that are predominantly over fifty. Yes. And they're not thinking about the future and the future generations. These are the people that have grown up in maybe a different UK than they're seeing today. They've seen a lot more diverse communities, diverse regions. You know, there could even be a place or a village that they're living in where there didn't used to be Asians or black people, but now there's almost a flood of them. So they're thinking, I don't like this, and this is my chance to say, you know what, get out. All, all of you don't leave, but they're not thinking in the wider spectrum thing and the, the implications and what effect it will have on the UK as, as yeah. a whole and on the economy. It's crazy to say that. Yeah, I think... Yeah, go on. So I think, no, I mean, we, I mean, it's human nature to think about yourself first. Mm. Um, and t- to echo on your point, Daniel, what I think is unfortunate about this entire situation we find ourselves in as British nationals, as British nationals, is that those that will be impacted the most out of this uh, potential uh, Brexit situation are the younger generation who, necess- who at the time, two years ago, did not have enough awareness to understand to look into it further, what it may mean, and actually to get themselves out to go and vote. And so what you find is, like you just said, the people 50 and above are, are taking the polls. Uh, they won't be around to to sort of uh, live in these conditions that that um, to, to come. So then, so, so that's for me, that's been a sort of a big, you sort of, you're, you're lacking a, some awareness and education from the younger people um, to actually have a say. So my opinion on it, and I'm definitely not a political expert, is I think... When the results were made, I remember being in the Japan office and my Japanese colleagues were looking at me as if to be like, what the hell is your country doing? And I had to explain to them that I don't represent the whole country. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> um, but they, I think I think my initial feeling was it's quite, it's quite a sad situation. I think if I think about my younger brother, he's someone who's now traveling a lot. Both of my younger brothers are. And I've been able to make the benefit of being part of the EU by moving to Switzerland, not having to worry about applying for a work permit and everything. So my personal case has been great. Um, but I think if I, if I take a step back, a, a certain population of the people voted for this for a reason. And I think maybe there's a group of, or a population within the UK that 
hasn't been able to benefit it as much as I have. So mm. rather than at first, I wanted to just finger point and I was angry and annoyed as to why we had voted like this. I tried to take a step back and understand where has there been gaps in society where something like this has happened. Maybe you could say it's the arrogance of some people like myself who have been on the more privileged side and thought everything was fine, but maybe it wasn't on the, under the surface. Um, but I think overall, it was a sad moment for me. I think now looking at it, I think we should just make the most of the opportunity. From a personal basis, um, being outside of the UK, whatever happens in the Brexit, it could be an opportunity for us as a country to really invest in other industries, invest with other countries, grow together. There could be a lot of big possibilities now. Um, and for me personally, it could be an opportunity to buy assets in the UK, which may be impacted by the Brexit decision. This no one knows, but let's see how it goes. Um, but I'm trying to stay a bit more positive about the about the decision and hopefully we can make the best out of it. The only, sorry, one, one final point to add. The only thing that frustrates me a little bit with so much energy, time and resources are being spent on these discussions, so much media time is being used to cover these discussions. If all of that energy was being funneled towards something like education or healthcare, then I start to think what the opportunity cost of something like this is, which disappoints me a bit. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I just to be honest, I, I think didn't, it's, you, I, didn't you say at the beginning you're not a, a politician expert? Okay, okay. But the thing is, I just see it as one big one big like joke you see you see someone who's now leading the brexit campaign or the deal yeah. you know theresa may originally was in the vote remain camp mm. although yeah. she wasn't debating as hard as some other vocals but you know coming back to the brexit david cameron um announces a referendum the results are out he resigns we then got people like boris johnson come in Foreign Secretary resigned. Like so you've Boris. got you've got Dominic Raab who mm. you know resigned earlier this week. You've got Esther McVeigh who resigned as well, and you've just got this domino effect of people leaving. And I can understand they're leaving because they may not they may not back Theresa May's ideal of a Brexit negotiation. And have you, you looked at that agreement? Something. Have you looked at the agreement or like? I looked, I looked at I looked, what the five hundred twenty-six page article. I ain't got time for that. I've, I've got. Yeah, well, I thought we told you to read that before. No, no, no. But like, I read Dominic Robb's um, resignation letter actually to Theresa May. He just basically he's saying that he couldn't support her. You know, he thanked for her for all her work, etc. But it's just come to a point where people just don't. People just don't. Well, people the, have lost confidence in Theresa May, but I don't think even it's if she resign, I don't think she, you know she can't resign now because no matter what it is, it's basically the UK getting the best deal we can get. But I don't, I, was actually, I don't think it's her fault, Danny, because it's not, the it's not problem is everyone voted for this Brexit thing, but no one knew what it meant. Like the, it's so funny because we went into this, or look, okay, we can argue about why we chose Brexit for selfish reasons, whatever. Now that the decision has been made, people went with a mentality like, okay, we're going to go to the EU and tell them that we want to be in the custom and trade unit um, um, union, but we want to also, like they wanted the best of the EU <laughs> for nothing or for yeah. limited um, payment. And they wanted to do whatever it is. We couldn't have expected a great deal. Like for me, it's got to do with, we just need to, now that I've read the, so I've looked over some of the um, Theresa uh, May's sort of proposal. And for me, is the, it? 
the proposal is basically <laughs> nothing changes for the next two years. We're going to be in a transition period for the next two years. So now... As in two years from 2019? From 2019. So from 2019, okay. what, what's happening is we're going to pay, I think it's around, don't quote me on the amount, but around 50 billion yeah, to the EU. And But that 50 billion, I don't really... It's not a big deal because that 50 billion is basically on projects that we already committed to actually oh, come on, no, but come on man this brexit is messing me up how can they be saying that a mars bar will not be important to the uk from next week because of brexit <laughs> a mars bar you know a mars bar <laughs> no, you gotta figure you gotta figure out something else oh continue no but <laughs> no but it's basically committed projects and uh, that we said we're gonna like we're gonna contribute to and we will get um, rewarded by based on assets for the next two years at least the transition we're basically saying things as it is today so we're going to leave the eu as it is today but we don't get any of the voting rights we basically say keep everything as it is today but we are not part of the eu anymore so then in 2020 we then leave and then we now need to decide okay what are now the agreements that we're going to set in place are there, is there going to be free month, free uh free movement if there's not free movements you guys i don't know what you guys are doing in switzerland but you might have to come back you might have to come back to London. But it's basically they've just pushed the board down for two more years and said, keep everything exactly the same. And then we're going to sort of decide what's going to happen later on. And it, Daniel, you're right, it's a mess. But it's just, I personally feel like they should just go with a no deal but, and just but, sell up but, tariffs as they go along. But the thing, the other thing is that you that you notice in the landscape is that, you know, companies are starting to take action because they don't want to wait till the um, till the to the deadline you know you see a lot of companies move their headquarters to to germany or to europe Smart out, of, out of london but then also you see the lot of the fear in people in the workplace you know i work in an organization where the majority aren't from england england there are a lot of people from europe and across the across the globe and i remember when this when the referendum and when the results came out there was uh, some communication to kind of put people at ease that the company was going to do everything they can to make sure people weren't so fearful but also even that said the the, the rate of hate crime increased astronomically and that you know the referendum the you know the vote leave almost people felt it gave them the right to act a certain way to certain individuals which i think is absolutely diabolical if you ask me mm. No, but, you know, we have we have to we have to wait and I see. Mean, the only thing we can do is just try and get the best deal we can get with the, with the with the least ramifications as possible. But no one knows what they're going to be those are until it happens. So what? Yeah, you... it'll be interesting. To... Yeah, go on. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to tap into more of Shuel's points around where he sees uh, the benefits and and the upside and the opportunities that he mentioned. Because uh, I, I I think it's um I think you I think you'll be hard pressed to find where we're actually going to really sort of uh, win, at least today, uh, in today's scenario. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind is the fact that we no longer have to pay this membership fee, I think, of like 300 million a week. But then, See, even by, that, by not it's doing funny that, you say that, how much P. do we miss it's out on the It's funny you say that. You know why it's funny you say that? Because that 350, they put on the bus saying, oh, 350 million, we're not going to pay the EU, it's going to go back into our NHS. That's not true. We're paying 350 million, but we will receive a money back from the EU as well. So that 350 yeah, yeah, yeah. So is not even actually true. But so many yeah, people voted leave based on that one statement. But, but, but that's but, but the only thing. I mean, that's 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 to my point. That's that's the only standout benefit I see at this moment in time is, all right. You don't have to pay 
a membership fee, for example, yeah, that you yeah. you no longer have to pay. Where else do you guys see the benefits if you if you had to uh, chalk them up? I think I just just and I'm I'm definitely not someone who was pro Brexit beforehand, but I just need to have this belief in me that the amount of people working on this deal, the amount of money we're putting behind it, the amount of effort, the amount of time, and the history that the UK has, there are too many people, and I and I and I hope too many smart people involved for us to walk away from this in a weaker position. Maybe in the short term, we may have some challenges. Maybe we have to, maybe the stock market- You're very optimistic. Or maybe the house price- <laughs> but, 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 then, but then the question is, against you, Shwada, you're saying to get the, you know, smart people not to get a good deal. Yeah. But when, when your back's up against the wall and- You don't have the, any cards. Whatever deal you get is a good deal. What are yeah. you going to do? Mm-hmm. But then, for example, and because I was trying to read this, because my view, and even now, for example, if they were to vote now, I would vote Remain. But because we voted as a majority of the UK, even if it's a slight majority, as Leave, I tried to take a step back and understand it from their perspective and some of the facts that they were mm-hmm. saying. Now, I think Oli made a point that some of the promotional statistics and figures that they were using ended up being proven as fake, which I think is fine. But if you take into account if there's a no-deal Brexit and there's going to be a stock market collapse and all this house prices will die, etc., but there's other countries around the world that are trading already on WTO rules, for example, like Canada and China. And these mm. are countries who have been able to tailor their own agreements with other countries and still economically do well. So I, I, I'm definitely not someone who has the answers. Mm. A, I, I, I'm not qualified enough and B, I'm probably... Yeah, I'm not going to say that. So for me, that like, I'm it's funny you say that, sure. Because <laughs> the only... the Perhaps what you mentioned, the only benefit and the upside to it is sovereignty. So we get to control our laws. We get to control what trades we decide to, if we want to trade or sign a trade agreement with China, those are the upside. So that's... Or or with Russia. Or with Russia or with Canada, (laughs) the US. We have that up. That's the upside that you can see. Back to Shoel's point where you're like, okay, yeah, there's other countries that have been able to sort of trade we currently have like i believe it's like 44 percent of our export is with the eu so we're getting yeah. we're getting a lot of benefit by staying in that trading block now we're going to yeah. leave that trading block and say okay let's focus on china and the us which is only makes up like 17 percent of our trade uh ex- mm. export and trade it doesn't make sense but in my mind the way i'm tackling this and looking at this is this is the time to sort of stack up your money so Stack up your money and say, okay, let me save as much as possible. And then based on whatever happens in the next two years, if the stock market drops or if the housing market drops, then invest in there. Because I don't think it's going to be a long-term 50, 100-year decline. I think it's going to be like 10 years for us to sort of stabilize everything and then start to see some growth. So as that stock market drops, then with the cash that I have that's liquid, invest in that in either the stock market properties or whichever way and then seeing that return over the next five ten years that's my game plan because unfortunately i don't see any other way all right mate <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't have a oh, game plan you haven't been oh, thinking about your game plan <laughs> no i think i think what <laughs> i think what um a more a more interesting question because we all obviously have a vested interest in property we're all doing very well in property and um, so a lot of us, if you like, are kind of just watching the market 
as as properties uh, are, as property prices are on the decline, will make it will take advantage um, when they're at a low. But I think what will be interesting to see is what is what does the UK look like in ten years from an immigrant standpoint, right? Um, mm. Because the, obviously the Brexit entails less immigrants because you're now having controls on your borders. If I look at my tenants, my tenant is someone who's non uh, is a non-British uh, person, is an immigrant. So it will be. Are we going to have the same type of demand that we have today for properties? I think a lot of properties will be perhaps empty, unfortunately. So that would, I think, I think the pricing, the pricing piece is one side, but I think also who we can actually get into, into our properties is going to be another discussion. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how things develop. Nice. Yeah, I think that's actually um, that's a good point, Pete, because I, I and we we've spoken about this privately anyway in terms of what we're looking to to do to expand our real estate investments but i was thinking if if for example now if you guys were given the opportunity to buy a house now which from a financial standpoint made made sense would you buy now or would you wait until march april time to see how it how everything concludes what would you guys do it's it's funny you asked that question because i was watching um something yesterday but related but different which was someone talking about changing money. And, you know, to hedge your risk or to, to hedge yourself, you could change 50% now or to, and then change the remaining 50 after. And that way, at least you've hedged hedge yourself. Yeah. But then the question comes down to, would you be bothered if the price went down after the date? And if it no, doesn't, no. then buy now. Yeah. So, I would, so my answer to the question is, um, I always believe in making the most of the opportunity here and now. That's yeah. all you ever have. And yeah. so, and also at the same time, a lot of what we do is, is always a long-term thinking. Yeah. So if we, if we actually have this belief that, that at some point the UK can make the most out of the Brexit situation and come out, come out better on the other end, um, I would invest now. If I, if I, if I, if I, if the, to answer your question, I would invest now because it's a long-term game. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Pete. It's all, it's all about your mindset. If it's short-term versus long-term. If it's long-term, yeah. you don't mind if it declines and goes back up. If it's short-term and you want to flip in like six months, then maybe you hold back. And again, you don't know what's going to happen to other markets and other sectors. So yes, the price might go down, but you never know with the banking sectors, interest rates might go up and it's more expensive to take out a mortgage. There's so many yeah. other factors that you have to take into consideration. Exactly. So let's just wrap up on this topic. I think let's just quickly go round and everyone has one or two sentences on Brexit, what it means to you. Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's just quickly go round. So Shual. Save your cash. <laughs> and if you're thinking of buying a house, put in a bid now. The end. I'll go next. Spend money like there's no tomorrow. No, Brexit means Brexit. <laughs> Yolo, <simple>. yeah. <laughs> Brexit, Brexit means Brexit, and whatever that means to you, that's what that's what's happening. It's simple. I would say, um, as a younger generation, let's take time out to educate ourselves on the implications, and let's put ourselves in a better position than we were two years ago when we didn't say take the, the action to vote and understand what this could mean. Yeah, for me, is Brexit happened. We just have to move on with it. Um, and we just, even if it's a good or bad decision, there's always opportunity to see some sort of gain, personal gain from it. 
sorry, can I just add one one last point actually? No, no, no. No, no, you can't. You had your time. So okay, so that was a heated conversation about Brexit. Well, I didn't uh, even get into it. Yeah, I know. If you wanna <laughs> if you wanna hear more from Daniel, our expert. EU expert. Yeah, just call him. Just call him. All seven. <laughs> okay, so moving on to the last section. This is the book recommendation. So we're just going to go around, talk about a book, which obviously you've read. <laughs> Don't just randomly bring up a book, but a book that we've read and sort of why it means so much to you, this specific book. So Daniel, why don't you start us off? Oh boy, put me on the spot. Yes. Um, pretty deep. Why does it mean so much to you? I think the book, a book, a book <laughs> I read was intense. book I read was um, "How Will You Measure Your Life" uh, by Clayton Christensen. And the reason why it was was I saw my dad reading it actually, and then I kind of just he bought it for me because I, I was taking a keen interest in it. And it's about common things you you'd face in life, but also it brings it and makes it more realistic to you. So it doesn't really offer simplistic answers, but it will prompt you to consider the most important questions you will ever face in life. And it won't tell you what to think, but instead aims to teach you how to think about your life and your purpose. And it shares, you know, powerful research and theories about success and failure, gives many examples by the author and friends of his life throughout his, but with um, friends throughout his life. And it doesn't necessarily prescribe a set path for happiness, but will equip you to lead a life which you truly inspire. And, you know, something I thought about is that it, it ref- it's almost like a guidebook for your future. Um, many theories are summarized that can help you understand the critical decisions that can bring happiness and success in your life instead of sadness and disappointment. For example, you don't have to le- go through certain things in life to learn mistakes or learn things. You can also base that off people around you. And it, last, lastly, what it does do is it gives you insights and compels you towards a question that only we can answer ourselves, and that is how you measure your life. Because that is very personal to you. Um, so it's a book. It's a book I would recommend. What was the name again? Just repeat the name again. How you measure your life. Dope, dope. Um, my book recommendation would be or is um, "Rich Dad Poor Dad" by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, can you spell Kiyosaki? Yeah, I can. You know, I got it. I got it. You know, K I Y O S A K I. You know, oh, public schooling we, does actually work, you know. I like this book because it really looks into the mindset of a rich person and a poor person. Um, the child in the book has two father figures, one that's poor and one that's rich. And it just goes through sort of different principles which poor people struggle with and rich people naturally find it easy to... Um, maneuver around and i was able to take key principles such as the rich don't work for money financial literacy so understanding the difference between an asset and a liability when i was 17 i used to think a car was an asset (laughs) um not realizing that that's a big liability you're spending so much money on it um and then just understanding like corporation and tax and how to really look after your money and build your money so it was a really important book for me to really start to navigate through being an entrepreneur understanding what wealth actually means and sort of reprogramming my mind to move away from sort of that 
poor mentality because you guys might think about it. The way our school, like education is built, they don't teach us about businesses. They teach you how to work for someone, do a nine to five. That's what they teach you. So this book allowed me to sort of re-engineer my mind and understand how rich people actually think. So, yeah. Pete, what are you saying? Cool. Yeah, the book of the week that I would strongly recommend uh, to read if you haven't read it already, it's called The One Thing by Gary Keller. And in essence, it's really about success lies and the ability to do one thing very, very well. And what the book does very well is that it helps to debunk the myths around multitasking, um, having sort of balancing sort of activities. It focuses a lot on the right prioritization. And the second half of the book gives you good techniques as to how you can actually start to take action and implement uh, different ideas. One example is it splits up very nicely. It calls your success list and your to-do list. So a lot of the times we actually just have one to-do list and that's actually mixed up with things that are really important to us versus things which um, maybe are not so important or urgent to do now. And by separating your to-do list and success list, you can really clearly prioritize and put effort into areas where it actually is going to take you to the next level. Um, and yeah, it's it's a lot of the saying is success lies in doing the right thing versus doing everything right. Um, but no, really, really good book. Recommend it. Um, it's a short read as well. It's only maybe 150 pages. Um, and very, very, very practical as well. Is that why you read it? Because it's very short. <laughs> <laughs> Public education, you know. <laughs> Was it pictures as well? Was there any pictures in the book as well? There's also pictures as well. Yeah, there are. <laughs> yeah, cool. Just making sure. <laughs> Let's move on to Shuao. Um, so for me, it's this book called Principles by Ray Dalio. So for those who, who, don't, who don't know who Ray Dalio is, he's a guy who started a hedge fund in pretty much his bedroom in, in the 1970s and grew it to one of the largest hedge funds around now. The largest. Say again? I think it's the largest. Yeah, the, probably the largest. It's called Bridgewater Associates, I think. Um, but the book itself, the reason why I like it is it's not really much technical stuff about his hedge fund, but basically it's called principles because he's sharing what his principles are in life and work. Now, the work half of the book, I think, unless you're already leading an organization which is quite large or you're planning on doing that, which I think all of us are, it is good to read, but maybe not so applicable at this stage in our life. I think the first half of the book, the life principles, are something that I really appreciated. I think I was going through the book and I made lots of post-it notes which for me is a good sign that there's lots of key messages in the book i think very simply the, the main message i took away from it is keeping a radically open mind about the decisions you take trying to take as much emotion out of it as you can and just focusing on the data that you have and the situation that you're in and trying to make the best situation out of that um, it's a book that i would highly recommend since i've read it myself Another reason why I love it is because it, it really triggered this habit of reading again more. So in the last mm. 12 months, I remember actually having a conversation with Pabilo about 12 months ago, and he was saying how he's reading a lot more now. And that kind of reminded me, A, that I used to read a lot when I was a kid, and B, why did I stop? So this is one of the first books I picked up when I started reading again, and it really triggered that, that passion again. So, so yeah, and I bought it for a lot of people as a gift as well. So if anyone wants it as a gift, holler me. Just to add quickly on, on that particular book, what I love about, um, and I haven't heard this before from any other 
medium is that he says success is about having meaningful relationships, meaningful work, and being able to struggle well. I think those three um, points are really, really fascinating. Yeah. Now we should deep dive into that book next week. It sounds like a very insightful book. If you send us the copy, you know we'll all read it, and we can yeah, go send- into some more. Is that 150 pages as well? Yeah, I'm how many pages is that? that? Is there lots of pictures as well? No, that's a, lo- that's a bigger book. There's actually bigger a book. lot of pictures. There's a lot of pages. But to be fair, he writes it in a very simple, simple way. So if you want to read it, you can you can take away everything. So, yeah. okay. And so this has been episode one of our very first podcast. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll tune in next week. We're going to try and give it a shot at least once a week for at least four weeks. Probably this is a good time, actually, to let people know where they can find us other than this podcast. So, Oli, how about you go first? Sure. So, again, name, Olu Canola. Um, You can find me either on Instagram. So, Wale, she calls me Olu. We'll put that in the comment section. Um, and actually, then also, you can also find me on the Bottom Line TV, which is an online community where we create tips and solutions for people chasing financial freedom. P, how about you? You can find me on this podcast next week. Tune in. <laughs> <laughs> no instagram nothing no you can find me on, you can find you can find me on instagram you can find me on facebook my name is pabilo timbo one of one p-a-b-i-l-o timbo t-i-m-b-o get to know if you don't already know <laughs> no one knows trust me <laughs> daniel what about you man simple you can find me on instagram at uh, curated by dj curated now what's curated by you life or just everything in general and then Shual perfect so you can find me on Facebook my name is Shual Ahmed and you can find me on Instagram Shual1 S-H-U-W-E-L-1 take off take off